My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Mark Palmer. Now, Mark is the CEO of Go Beyond Partners, a market leader in customer experience and operations transformation. It's also part of WebHelp. Now, Mark has a wealth of experience in consulting and in leadership. He has a degree in French and an MBA from Cardiff Business School. I've had the pleasure of working with him twice before and his brilliance always makes me feel slightly nervous. So Mark, I love that we've got an opportunity to chat again. I know that you're going to be a wonderful guest. So tell me, how are things for you as we start coming out of lockdown? Hi Angela, it's nice nice to speak to you again. Um, we're well, I'm well, thank you. So I'm in the office for the first time in six weeks which is great fun. And there's only one other person in the office. Um, I have socially distanced from him. Um, it's nothing to do with his beard. He, uh, he's, uh, he's in great shape as well. So the business has got through these difficult times successfully, and we're planning for the future with optimism. And I'm, you know, I'm delighted to say that everybody has, uh, is in great shape health-wise as well, even if some of us possibly haven't done as much exercise as you would recommend we should do. Well, it's good to hear that you're well and that the business is well. And I'm sure that there are going to be a few pivot moments uh, over the next few months uh, for your business. And perhaps we can touch on those as we move through. But we like to start the podcast with getting you into the success mindset and doing what I call the shake your pom-poms moment. Um, So this is about you being your very own cheerleader and sharing with us, if you can, your three proudest moments. How can I say, yeah, taken to self-aggrandizing moments, but um, as you force me to. I guess probably number one would be all the way back in uh, 1998, I had to close down a factory in Birmingham. And these are never great moments, but there was the factors which were like the euro coming in that was a great uh, driver of that and the impending doom that uh, was going to happen to Rover Group that we could see. So I uh, had to show, shut that factory down. But what was what went particularly well was the focus on finding work for the other people in, in the factory that, that were losing, who were losing their jobs. And we were successful because we went about it, not in a tick box way, but in a genuinely driven way to, to find people work. And I did stumble across um, a, another French company who were supplying a Toyota who had just opened. And they were intrigued by the skill sets and the development work we put into the team and took the whole 
spot in one one in one um, in one in one afternoon. We did, we we did the deal, and it just meant that at the the day of the closure, we used the empty factory space to play football. So it was the management versus the uh, shop floor. We uh, we lost, of course, and but they bought me a drink afterwards in the pub. So it was a particularly positive experience because we were able to uh, to turn something that was a potentially negative into into a, a real positive moment. So playing football against the, the guys who I'd just made redundant three months earlier was uh, was great. I guess the second piece would be. The journey I went on with OE Consulting, so I joined the business in 2001, second half of 2001. By 2007, they'd appointed me managing director, but it was um, it was a several uh, months before um, Black Monday, which was to happen the next year. And at that moment, I, I'd only just actually, although they told me I was going to become MD in 07, I wasn't appointed until the day before Black Monday in, in 2008. And the business was turning over 250,000 a month at that point. So the journey to take that business to 2 million a month, so multiplying it by eight over the subsequent uh, 10 years was was humbling in the sense that those people who came on that journey stuck with it, but we changed an enormous amount in terms of the makeup of the team, in terms of uh, the markets we were in, the way we went to market, how we recruited, um, who we recruited. So that was a fantastic journey. And of course, selling the business um, always has some pain, but I was able to reflect back after the 10 years and say, hey, you know, we multiplied that business um, by, by eight. The third one, I guess it's much more around being a parent, if I'm allowed to talk about family things, as opposed to it's just really seeing your sons grow up and see them turn into critical thinkers. So they don't accept things at face value. They are keen to to understand. And when they don't agree with something, they are vocal and vociferous. And um, and of course, that means we can have fun conversations. And that means that we can agree that quite a lot of things aren't how they, how they should be. Um, and they um, may not have been necessarily the fastest runners or indeed the, the greatest academics themselves. But I think the greatest asset that, um, that they have is that they question things, and I'm, and I'm delighted that they do. Ah, they've learned that from their dad, haven't they? That curiosity um, is something that you've always had. And, and it's nice to hear you talking about doing difficult things, but doing them in the right way. And one of the things that I've always observed in you is your ability to be human. Um, and I know that we'll talk a lot about that as we move through. But I'm interested to kind of roll all the way back to childhood and not in a therapeutic way, but just to kind of find out whether when you were younger, perhaps, you know, a bit younger than, than your sons are now, what did you want to be? And did you know that you would be a success? The answer is no. Um, I probably didn't know what I wanted to be. I knew what I didn't want to be um, because my mother, I think, wanted me to be a teacher or a priest. And those who <laughs> know me will know that those were neither of those were particularly likely critical thinking possibly had something to do with that i also was told by my careers officer at school that i should join the liberal professions but that was because i was uh, in the sort of school where the, where the teachers couldn't imagine anything different i guess what i did know and i was already in a place where perhaps a little bit of a, a rebel that i wanted to be in industry either making things or doing things i wasn't in a, um, a 
didn't want to necessarily follow that safe liberal profession career track. I knew that wasn't for me. So I guess all I really knew at 16 is that I was going to either make things or do things from a, from a, from a commercial perspective. And, and that's what you went on to do. So let's talk a little bit about how your career started off and then, you know, kind of take us on a whistle-stop tour to where you are now. So briefly, I did a degree in French. Why did I do a degree in French? Because I was pretty good at French. It involved spending a year in France, which was seemed quite brave at the time, but I went out to France into a place called Chartres, which is about 100 miles or um, 100 kilometers rather southwest of Paris. I didn't know a soul, so I joined the squash club. I sought out the other nationals who were from Germany, Spain, Italy, and the UK doing the same thing as me. That was great and formative because it taught me that you could start over. So um, I finished the degree. It was 1989. I got a job with Excel Logistics, decided that's not really what I wanted to do. Went back to university for a couple of years to do an MBA at Cardiff and it was during that period I was fortunate to meet a guy called Dan Jones. So Dan Jones was my supervisor for my MBA dissertation and he had just emerged as one of the preeminent uh, business authors in the UK because he had written that uh, now um, infamous book and famous book as well, The Machine That Changed the World. So I decided and sat down with him. He said, look, let's join the two things that you're good at. You have a big interest in the motor industry and you speak good French let's do something on the future of the French motor industry so we architected that together I spent a lot of time researching it going out to France interviewing people interviewing car dealers manufacturers and the supply chain and of course out of it I got a job now a year earlier I'd been offered a job by Nortel and they'd said they'd sponsor me through my MBA but knowing um, through the discussions I'd had, what I wanted to do, I was able to say, no, I'm not doing the sponsored piece. I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to follow my dream. And that's what happened. I was able to do that dissertation. It gave me the introductions to that network. And I found a job with a company called Valio, who's a, it's a $20 billion business, who are really the French Bosch. They offered me a management graduate position. But uniquely, during the interview process, they said, Mark, don't come to the plants in the UK, we'd far prefer you to come out to France and learn our management method and to bring that back to the UK um, at some point in the future. Would you do that? Having done the the, the business out in France um, seven years, or sorry, probably five years earlier as part of my undergrad, I decided, yeah, let's go for it. So spring was the time for change. And I went out to France and in the end stayed out there six years. Wow. So and then... (laughs) Yeah, so that was great fun. I became the MD for the, the UK business at the end of that six-year period. So was as a 30-year-old, that was unusual. And then I guess I've told you a lot of the story already and um, that um, I did leave the business finally after nine years and uh, decided that being British and being in the automotive industry were not compatible. So uh, and then joined OE Consulting at that point. So but it all started, I guess, with a, a determination not to take the easy route with Nortel and to take that uh, sponsorship, but to go into debt and do what I really wanted to do. It, it resulted in a few arguments with my parents, as I remember. They thought <laughs> I was arrogant, arrogant and foolish, but I had decided I wanted to do something that I wanted to do. And 
there. So, so maybe that was um, you know, an important moment in life. So there was some kind of headstrong elements to that and, and you absolutely were clear about what you wanted. But what's actually driven you, do you think, along the way to achieve the success that you have today? Well, I think one has to be a little bit lucky. And I think that probably my main strength along the way has been to recognize the people around me who had the complementary skills. I knew that I had some of it, but I didn't have all of it. And I think that I've always gained a great deal of pleasure in seeing people develop and see people succeed. And I've wanted really, in a funny sort of way, I've hung on to their coattails as much as they may feel they've done the opposite. So it has been really about reciprocity. So I've been driven more by reciprocity and giving than I have been by necessarily pecuniary gain for myself. And it just so happens that in the, particularly in the consulting industry, that the selfless giving and expecting nothing in return and building of psychological and strong alliances and contracts with people through through giving, I think, is a good uh, is a good way to live, you live your life, and it's actually a remarkably good way to run a business as well. You're very good at that. That's something that I noticed. So I used to work for you a long time ago, and then I became a client of OEEs for a long time. And during that that time when I was a client, you would call me for no particular reason, and I remember I would hang up the phone and go, "Oh, what did he want?" <laughs> There was no reason for your call. It was just to sort of have a chat. And that for me was was huge because there wasn't ever a reason why. And, and that made me feel special. And I think you do that so well. And you don't come back two days later with the thing that you actually wanted. You perhaps come back two months later and just put in another call to check on how I was. And I think that is something remarkable that doesn't happen very often. So it's a a real strength that you have. And I wanted to touch on adversity with you because, um, you know, lots of people that I'm talking to on the podcast have experienced adversity along the way, and that has helped to build who they are and to make them stronger. So is that something that you've experienced? And, And if you have, how has it shaped you? Yeah, I mean, sure. I think everybody has had had diverse adversity in their lives. For me, it's been a, a journey adversity because I was born with a condition called Klippeltrenorni Weber syndrome. So you don't need to spell it. And it essentially, it's it's a uh, means that in the womb the veins don't form properly, and it it meant that my left leg did not um, get a deep vein below the knee. And whilst superficially that doesn't make a huge difference um over time it has made a, a difference and it's led to dvts and innumerable operations to to uh correct uh the uh, side effects of that now there are times where you sort of say to yourself you know why me this is unfair you know my nobody else in my family has ever had this problem and it's not congenital it's just one of those things that happens but i think that what it means is is that I think a lot of people worry about self-actualization. They worry about some sort of existential place they might get to in their lives. But having sometimes a reminder that the physiological things that perhaps many people take for granted in terms of being pain-free and being able to do simple things like go for a run or um, you know get boarding an airplane when there are times in your life where those things are not possible. I mean, I was in a wheelchair for a year 
when I was uh, when I was twelve. It means that when you can do those things, that you appreciate them so much more. But also, I think you have a genuine empathy with those people who perhaps do have adversity in their lives, and rather than being sympathetic, you can be empathetic because you are talking from personal experience. So I think you know you can. You, I think you can go two ways, and I've got this perhaps a slightly hard view, which is I don't think that we are a uh, fate doesn't deal you bad hands. What does happen is that you as an individual have to decide at a moment in life whether that defines you or not. And you need need to decide whether you are going to make that adversity a strength or whether you're going to let it defeat you. And I guess I've always felt that if you can turn that adversity into a positive it actually makes you much stronger than you were before Mm, no see it's absolutely true and I've seen you do that over over the years and I'm interested to know how you do it though so on the days when it isn't going so well and and you know your health is impacting the way that you feel how do you keep showing up in a way that you know you can lead others and you can appear to be motivated how do you actually do that well, I don't think I do all the time is probably the first thing. I think there are moments where how you feel and how you are does impact how you lead. So I I know when you get it wrong. I think so the first thing is is to recognize that you do. Um, I mean, nobody, nobody is uh, on it all the time to the extent they should be. Um, but I think you know, to answer your question, I read a book when in my formative years called The Strategy of the Dolphin. It was given to me by a coach. And it explains that the dolphin wins because the dolphin is part member of a team and the dolphin applies a, a win-win approach to life. Whereas I guess the, the, analogy, the analogy stretches to sharks who sometimes win, but there's always a loser with a shark. So effectively, the dolphin is somebody that is intelligent and operates as a team and looks at the bigger picture. So I think that as long as you remember that it's, it's we rather than me, or we rather than I, and that you're getting there because you know you have engaged those people around you, and that to get collectively we're going to win. Um, then, then your narrative is no longer about you. Your your narrative is around um, is the same as that of a dolphin. So there's a few things in there, that willingness to accept that you might not always be on it, you might not always get it right, but equally to be able to lean on other people when you're not feeling as strong. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think so. But I think it's just knowing that not one, no one person can have all the answers and it's okay to fail and it's okay to own up to being a bit rubbish sometimes. But I, I don't think, I don't see that's a problem. I mean, I think it comes back to something else that I would recommend people is that there are people who think that they should be the best at everything, that they should be the smartest and that they should know, show no weakness. But I do, I do think that vulnerability is a key part of relationship building. And vulnerability is, is great. Actually, the people who are able to share vulnerabilities are genuinely the strongest because a vulnerability shared, you know, boy, oh boy, do you have to be self-confident and self-aware and have you know, decent human attributes to be able to share those vulnerabilities. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm a great believer that imperfection is actually a strength as long as you are, are able to share it. 
Yeah, it's a good point and, and interested to pick up a little bit more about the vulnerability piece. I've been speaking to quite a few people over the podcast who work in consulting and have felt that vulnerability doesn't necessarily have a place in consulting because you're the one that needs to have all of the answers all of the time. How are you encouraging your people to be more vulnerable and to be open to sharing that? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't agree, as you can imagine, that vulnerability is a bad thing in consulting. The way I would, I would almost reverse engineer it, the way in which clients and consultants operate is they want to co-create value and they want to design things together because actually the client needs to have a piece of their DNA. They need to be bought into whatever the recommendations are. And some of my best consulting moments have been when I'm the, been the least well-prepared. I can remember famously... I'd spent two weeks doing some research on a business in Cardiff doing motor finance. And after two weeks, I read the report that my team had come up with. And if you don't mind me using the vernacular, you know, it was utter horse shit. And I just was looking at it saying, I cannot, and I had, and I'd finished at 11 p.m. and I had to take it to the client the next morning at seven. And I had to get up at, you know, past four. And I got there. And all that night, I was thinking about how am I going to play this? So I was just said to the client, I said, look, we've been looking at your business and I've got some insight for you, but I didn't really want to come today with a report because I felt, A, we weren't ready to do it, but B, I really needed to hear from you, your thoughts on your business. And when we go to present to your boss in a week's time, let's make sure we do that presentation together. So it was almost by accident. And he said, you know what? That would be fantastic. And I've been dreading this meeting because I just knew I wasn't going to like anything that you were going to say. But now that we can do that together, you know, I'm really bought into that process. So I bought myself another week. I got myself out of the smelly stuff, but I probably alighted upon the best way to do this. And the best way to do this is actually to, um, to not know all the answers. The best way to do this is to make sure that those who have employed you are front and center and i've you know coined the phrase since then that the client is the hero of the narrative you know you are not the hero of the narrative the client is the hero of the narrative but it was probably by being poorly prepared and uh, not supervising my team properly for two weeks that i alighted <laughs> upon that nugget it's always the best way to come across the nuggets isn't it <laughs> yeah. brilliant yeah. and and yeah. tell me how do you take good care of your mindset? Um, that's something that I'm always interested to hear. So what are the, the kind of the techniques that you adopt to keep yourself in tip-top condition mental health-wise? So I do time, find time to switch off. So I play golf badly, but I like being outside. I do switch the phone off when I'm in the car very often, and um, I'll listen to books or listen to music. I have a, a love of um, European cinema, so um, whenever when the cinemas used to be open, I would uh, would go and see, you know, either my Nordic noir or my uh, my sort of rather pretentious French uh, movie in French, which I'm fortunate enough to be able to to follow. And I and I like, you know, I've actually been even watching some Welsh um, production productions uh, recently as well, which are set around Aberystwyth which have been particularly particularly good as well. So I forget the name. But um, yeah, so I think those would be so a bit of sports and a bit of music and, and, and definitely cinema is a huge one for me. And of course, the Welsh connection being that you went to school in Wales. 
Yeah, I did. I went to prep school. I went away to boarding school and I did my postgrad studies in, in Wales. So now I have a great affinity with Wales. I um, support England on uh, rugby day. Um, hopefully my Welsh friends forgive me for that. But yeah, I spent 15 years of my life um, in the, the South Wales um, strip. And uh, yeah, I have a great, particularly Cardiff, I think, as a, as a city is as closest to a place I could call home. And you managed to not take on the sing-song accent. I don't know how you did that, but you've managed. So well done. Unlike me, I can go into uh, it really yeah, I, well, I, I, yeah, this is being broadcast, so I'm not making any, uh, <laughs> any casting any aspersions. But no, well, interestingly, despite Monmouth being in Wales, nobody really there has a Welsh accent and those boys that did it was generally drummed out of them within a, within a few days I'm, I'm not sure that that's particularly uh, the case anymore thankfully but but back in the uh, the dark days of the 80s that's uh, that's certainly what happened and we are going to play now mark something called the five second game rule so this is where i put you under pressure to give me three answers to a single question within five seconds are you ready Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> okay, so Mark, in the five-second game rule, can you give me the name of your three favourite cars? Porsche 911, Audi Quattro, Jensen Interceptor. <laughs> Brilliant. The first two of those you've had, haven't you? Haven't you? Um, only really the first one, actually. Only the first. The other two, um, one day, if I ever find somebody who could build one from the rusting heaps that they probably are today. The retirement car. The from the scrap yeah, people, love it. Yeah. <laughs> and let's do another one. So in the five-second game room, can you give me three things that you can do to make you happy? Three things that I can do that make me happy. Well, first one would be probably to hit a ball off a tee 300 yards. That would make me happy. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Carry on. Yeah. A a second thing that would make me happy, uh, this is very evil, probably a uh, a large New York strip steak with blue sauce. That's uh, not very healthy, I realise, but um, extraordinarily good. (laughs) And a road trip with my wife around um, large European cities, staying in nice hotels with no particular bus to catch. Ah, lush. So being with your wife in another place, eating steak and playing the odd game of golf, that's the secret to happiness. You can't beat it. Maybe, although there's a long story as to why the golf wouldn't probably mix very well with the other two. (laughs) Another day. I do always say that you might as well be divorced if you have a husband that likes to play golf. But that's another story, Mark. Um, So let's let's move on to another secret. And that is the secret to success. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you feel makes up the ultimate secret to success. Well, again, we have looked a little bit at this. I think, first of all, you need to question yourself. I think those people who are so single-minded and purposeful and bludgeon their way without questioning themselves are not going to be successful. So having a little bit of doubt is great. Not too much doubt, but you do need to question yourself regularly as a, a way of regulating your own behavior. Second thing would be emotional intelligence. And what do I mean by emotional intelligence? It means that whatever situations you find yourself, whether they're professional or social, you should be able to have almost an out-of-body experience and look down on what's happening and play the role that you need to play so that that 
meeting, that transaction, that social occasion works. If you're going into those situations too worried about yourself and your own inhibitions, it's not going to work. So you need to play the role that, uh, that, that you need to play. We talked about sharing vulnerabilities. Uh, definitely, it's, you don't use that cynically because people you know, will, will know what you're doing, that you're, you're manipulating them. And that's not what this is about. This is about really being yourself and being genuine. And I think thinking of others is important as just as a, as a, a genuine piece of uh, how you should run your life. Because if you demonstrate through your behaviors and through your value sets that you're not doing things for your own agenda, but you're essentially doing what you can for their agenda, then I think people will follow you. And if people will follow you, then you can get them to do some fantastic things. So I think, you know, this really is all of my stuff comes back really to an agenda, which is about what can you do for others rather than what, what can they do for you? Bit of a Kennedy moment, but it's, uh, but you know, and then I didn't steal it from him, I promise. (laughs) No, it's lovely. There's four steps then in in terms of what you're saying. And it comes down to being selfless really. So you've talked about questioning yourself and, and trying to disable the doubt, having a little bit, but not too much. You've talked about having that emotional intelligence such that you're able to step out of your shoes and actually observe the whole scenario you've talked about being willing to show those vulnerabilities but in a way where you're just simply being yourself in the situation that you're in and then you talked about that willingness to support and champion others over and above yourself and and that would be the Mark Palmer secret to success and I think what's interesting about that is that some of those things we haven't heard before on the podcast in answer to this question so it's lovely to see the diversity that's coming through in terms of how people lead and and you know this is going to relate and and resonate with with some people and they'll be able to pick that up and and move forward with it so thank you for sharing no 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 it's a pleasure and look i think also if i come back to the emotional intelligence piece you do need a piece of self-love as well because you do need to have the self-confidence to go into those social situations and not be worried about who you are so there is a there's a there is a competence still needed to do this so you do need to believe in yourself but i'm probably taking that as as red but you the fact that you've just mentioned the words self-love is is just incredible and i know you also talk about this premise of crushing the ego um so maybe we can we can finish on that just tell me what does crushing the ego actually mean it means that there are many situations where you have got to say to yourself that whilst I do have an ego and there are moments where I will take people on and I will be really very challenging and there will be some people who might listen to this podcast and would say to themselves, this is the same person they know because they will have had me full full 12 cylinder, full on version. But ultimately, that version is only reserved for very, very special occasions where I feel that the my wife, my wife calls it the steamroller, is needed. And I don't do the steamroller, but I can do it. I know I can do it. But but I think that a lot of the time is that, and this is the biggest skill I would say to people in selling, is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to listen and you're trying to understand what people want. And if you go in there trying to tell somebody how marvelous you are and you try and steal 
the air, you try and steal the debate, you you steal the agenda. That's not doing any doing anybody any help. It's completely undermining what you're trying to achieve. So don't go in and say how marvelous your kids are, how fantastic your football team is, you know how wonderful you know how wonderfully educated you were, and uh, how expensive a car you might drive. Despite you know you some people may want be wanting to do that. What you need to be able to do is to completely re realize that the person who has to be front and center is the person in front of you. And if you have got curiosity and you are genuinely interested in others, well, it's going to be pretty easy to, to, uh, to turn the debate around to them. And ultimately, they are the people who are probably going to be buying your services. And I think they've got every right to expect that the debate is around them. And they're probably rather bored with a whole load of self-confident people coming in to see them who've managed to turn the narrative around themselves. And that's a huge turnoff. And I think that people, by, by showing genuine interest in others does mean that you probably you have to turn off the me quotient again. So, it is, you know, again, we're probably coming back to many of the things I've already talked about. And you do curiosity in spades. Uh, so it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your insights and your thought processes and all of the things that you've learned along the way. So thank you for being so open as to share them with us. And um, I wish you all the well uh, in the next year or so as we come out of this lockdown situation and I'm sure the business will will adjust and change as is necessary under your leadership and uh, yeah thank you for being a part of it I hope you've enjoyed it Mark. No very much so and um, I guess I'm humbled that you've come to me to be part of the series Angela and um, obviously I'm obviously a huge admirer of everything that you've achieved and your successes so uh, thanks to you very much as well. Oh, you're very kind. Do take care and I will speak to you again. Bye-bye now. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode and do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.